Hello, and welcome to a new season of Trek About Presents. Hey, look at that. Yes, you didn't expect us to come back, but we did. Of course they did. We told them we were going to come back. Okay. Back in April. Well, now it's July. And, and we are nothing if not podcasters of our word. We are pod people is what happened. Ooh. Um. So as many of you know, if you're on the internet, the new Ghostbusters is coming out. and In just a couple of weeks, I believe. In just a couple of weeks. It stars women, so it's very bad. Mm-hmm. And yep. we're going to watch it to get our, you know, unique unique Trek about style take on it. So since obviously we're watching the new Ghostbusters, we'd like this season to include Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 as well. If the new Ghostbusters is ruining your childhood, we'd like to see what your childhood was. Yes. So also if the new Ghostbusters is ruining your childhood, then I think that Ghostbusters 2 probably should have also ruined your childhood. Well, I I, I think but if, we'll a, get, if we'll a movie get, we'll can ru- ruin your weeks. childhood, then your parents have a big problem but that's i mean you know my father ruined my childhood so. you know um but in but 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 we're not watching I, any of the ghostbusters movies this week Correct. this week we are taking maybe a little tangential movie and we are watching lost in translation which features bill murray and scarlett johansson which is why i agree to it who played slimer in the original movie <laughs> wow <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. What was she like? Three then? I know. You know, she's really young in this movie. Huh. But uh, yeah, so this for a while was, I would say, in college, one of my favorite movies. My favorite movie, actually. Okay. Um, it's one that I mean, I I've seen this movie forty times in my life. So watching it again last night, um, I don't know, was an interesting experience because I guess this is the first time I've seen it in a while. Okay. But, well, when was the last time you watched it? Oh, it would have been a few years ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. I think I, I generally tend to watch this movie maybe once or twice a year. So I don't think I've seen it as much as you, but I've probably seen it 15 or 20 times. Yeah. And I do remember seeing it when it came out in 2003. I actually tra- – I was living in – I think I was living in Delaware at the time, actually. Okay. And I uh, – uh, went to Philadelphia to see it. Wow. That's how much I wanted to see it. No. I went to Philadelphia. Oh, God. Um, speaking about being lost in a foreign city, I, w- I saw this in the theaters with my boyfriend at the time, and we were like 10 minutes late, so I missed the first 10 minutes or so of it. Oh, so you missed Charlotte's Butt? Yeah, Charlotte's Butt. Yeah, I, I um, this is a movie that I always have a very different reaction to, and I especially the end of the movie because actually this time watching the end of the movie which is you know very famous for yeah. uh, for a very particular reason which we will talk about but i had a completely different interpretation of the end of the movie this time than i'd ever had before um and i don't want to talk about the end yet but i think that you know this is a movie that has had i mean obviously this movie has had a lot of criticism i mean there's been a lot of stuff about it you know is it racist you know, is it not racist? What's going on here? Is Sofia Coppola actually a good director? You know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and you know, I find that kind of dialogue surrounding the movie to be, you know, kind of tiresome, frankly. I think yeah. that, you know, Sofia Coppola is, I, I like her a lot as a director, even though I kind of, she's fallen off my radar a little bit after um, Marie Antoinette. But um, I didn't like uh, uh, Virgin Suicides or Marie Antoinette, but the way both the movies were shot, the way they looked, you know, the stylization of all of them, I did really love. Um, she is a, a good director, and I, I specifically do want to call out a couple of scenes when we get to them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, this is a, a kind of a hard conversation to get into. I don't really know where to start. I mean, I think that. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I want to talk about the I, not not necessarily to go off on the you know. 
this is a very impressionistic movie in a lot of ways. It's it's essentially if you cracked open the brains of uh, Bob and Charlotte and could get a movie of what they took away from Japan, it would be this. And so, yes, you know, I think there is a lot of weirdness and exaggeratedness. Uh, not so much that it becomes cartoonish. I think the uh, well, it is a very subjective movie. I mean, the Lip My Stockings Woman is really the most cartoonish the movie does get, and I mean that's a hilarious scene for many reasons, but. I mean, I think this is what these characters are taking away from it. I mean, they they both feel like, where the fuck am I? What's happening? You know, this place is strange and I don't, you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, Japan in Tokyo in particular is very different than most, you know, Westerners are used to dealing with. And yet similar enough in that, you know, it, it's not like, uh, 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 you know, we understand what, you know, we. It looks like a city. It, yeah. The technological may be different, but we can get it, you know, and yet it is still very alienating. Yeah. I mean, we should say neither of us have ever actually been to Tokyo, so we don't actually know what it's like. But, you know, one of the things that I always find very interesting about about Lost in Translation is, you know, this dynamic between Charlotte and Bob is is very interesting. And I, I think what really what it really comes down to for me is there's a lot of different levels that this movie is is working on. And, you know, as you say, it is very I wouldn't necessarily call it impressionistic. I think I would call it more subjective. Hmm. I think that, you know, and this is, again, sort of going towards uh, me wanting to, to, to talk about directing styles and cinematography okay. a little bit more, you know, in, in these track about presents. Because, you know, Sofia Coppola is doing some very interesting things here. I think that if you look at the ways in which, uh, uh, well, number one, let's talk about um, Charlotte and Bob are both there uh, for reasons that really have nothing to do um, with, with them as people. They don't want to be there. Yeah. And they don't necessarily even have a reason to be there. Now, you know, I mean, Bob more so Bob's than, doing than Charlotte, work, but not in it. it it's it, not they, neither of them would have chosen Tokyo to go yeah. to if it weren't for external factors that brought them there. And, you know, Lost in Translation obviously speaks to, okay, they don't speak Japanese. Yeah, okay. But it's also about, you know, the sort of the, the ways in which people connect, the ways in which they're sort of interpreting Tokyo in a very different way than the people that live there yeah. or the Japanese or people that kind of like travel there a lot. Um, and also the fact of the matter is, you know, they kind of orbit each other for a while before the movie introduces them. And, you know, so for example, you know, what you get in this movie is a lot of shots of scenery, a lot of shots of, of landscapes. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a beautiful shot, uh, about halfway through the movie, uh, where Bob is just playing golf for yes. about in a minute. It has no connection to anything, but you, you know, you get Mount, I think it's Mount Fuji. Yeah. Um, and he's just, you know, it's beautiful. It's just a thing he's doing. And, but, but what's really, uh, what I find really interesting, uh, specifically about the camera work in Lost in Translation is that a lot of the times the, the people are held at a little bit of a distance. This is not a movie that uses close ups very much. Hmm. You know, I think that is a little bit, um, speaking to their emotional states. Uh, in yeah. a way, you know, this is not really, and also, frankly, I, you know, the whole thing about uh, what their relationship really is about, what it entails, is it sexual, is it not? You know, I'm sure you have thoughts about that. But, you know, to me, it is very much a movie about how these people are sort of orbiting each other and these other characters, you know, without necessarily getting uh, too invested in each other's lives. And that's kind of the 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 ways in which uh, Coppola, is, Sophia Coppola, is is choosing her shots in this movie, I think, is very deliberate. I mean, I know especially at the time, you know, a lot of the praise of the movie came from the fact that this is not a simple affair. It's not just two people who decide to, you know, that they I, – I mean, to a very real degree, I don't think they 
answer any questions for each other. Neither of them, you know, comes out of this experience, like, with their problems solved. None of them really have any epiphanies, you know. But at the same time, I think both of them see, like, a moment of we're not alone in this. And, you know, this is just... It's not that the movie says that alienation is the state of humanity. I don't think that's where it's going. But at the same time, I think that... uh but it, I think, well, well, I, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think that's what the movie is saying. But I think that what, what part of what the movie is is getting at is that uh, the state of connection with another person is, yeah. is a lot more rare, and it's, it's also something that is, is should be cherished, frankly, well, if you, if you find it. And you know, I, of course, I would say that the movie doesn't make, you know, says that for these people, like because I think part of the reason of having, well, well, well I don't the, know, the, I... the Anna Faris character is certainly very comfortable and happy wherever she is, whether she's wanted there or not. You know, she doesn't feel ever uncomfortable. Um, Are you talking about the actress? Yes. Okay. You know, I mean, I even think about the scene when she's, you know, they come back. You know, they've had this night where they you know, go karaoke, and it's this wonderful where they meet these people and connections. When we see the, her, you know, the Kelly Strong character play, uh, you know, singing karaoke, it's for a bunch, it's very off-key, it's bad for a bunch of people who aren't even paying attention, and she's having the time of her life. And who is the Kelly Strong character? That's the Anna Faris character, the actress. Oh, okay. That's her name. Um, <laughs> but, um... She, was, I mean, she wasn't there. Not at the karaoke, when they come back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, when, yeah. When, they, when they're, like, running from her. Um, and, and the DJ character as well, like he, he, you know, I, I think it's making it very clear that it's, it's Bob and Charlotte who have trouble connecting to other people. They are very much introverted. Bob's problem is he has a job which needs to be extroversion for, and he can put on that extroverted self. Um, well, I think that, that there's a couple things. I mean, I don't know if I want to get into a long discussion about introversion versus extroversion because, yeah, I, I think that they're generally. I mean, speaking as an introvert, I think they're generally very misunderstood terms. But that's you know really a side issue. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I agree with you that the movie. You know, I don't. I think what the movie is saying specifically about that actress character, and I, I don't remember her name, but Anna Faris is the actress, and she plays a a character named Kelly Strong. I told. Okay, so Kelly Ferris, thank you. Um, Kelly is. She's not connecting with anyone, and I think that's what the point of her character really is, is that Charlotte is a very – she is a character who is in her head a lot. She's Mm -hmm. obviously someone who's very sensitive. She calls herself mean at one point, but I think that's kind of supposed to be a little bit ironic or self-effacing. Uh, you you know, know, it's the kind of th- she's probably the kind of thing you know. She says a sarcastic thing here and there, like the, when she makes the joke about evil on Wah and John is like, "Oh my God, why would you say such a you know?" Right? Thing? Like I, she probably has been around some people who have that kind of reaction, and so she's you know exaggerated her sarcasm into yeah. meanness. But I think that, that what it really comes down to is is the Kelly character, and I think that that Charlotte's husband, and even even Bob's wife to a degree are all characters that are able to move and and really, I think, use people to a, to a degree. I mean, I think that I, I see a lot of myself in, in Charlotte especially. I think yeah. that, you know, I am someone who has trouble um, being a, a, a sort of, I guess the word is is 
kind of not real with someone like, you know, that I, I'm very sensitive. Like, you know, when I have problems going on in my head, it's very obvious. And, you know, I definitely try and cover it up as much as I can, but I'm not someone who can just sort of like have a very shallow, you know, you don't like bullshit. Yeah. I don't like bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, you know, Charlotte doesn't like bullshit either. I mean, she's Whereas, living in, she talks about how she grew up in New York and now she's living, you know, she went to Yale and now she's living in LA and she hates it there. So, I mean, if you, LA very much, you know, th- this, this movie doesn't do a ton with the difference, you know, of characterization of LA. But there is plenty of characterization of L.A. in the media as a very slick, you know, shallow Hollywood town. Well, and I think that the movie, you know, even says as much where where Kelly is giving that press conference and she's saying things like, yeah, Keanu and I had so much in common. We both live in L.A. We have two dogs. We both have dogs. We both like Mexican food. And then she like devolves into like saying karate and yoga and like any funny word that, you know, foreign word that they're going to respond to. Yeah. But. At the same time, her press conference is going great. She has that room laughing, and she's a movie star. You know, it is true. Well, that's the thing. I think that that you know, these are people that have learned how to, to play the game, to play the game, and have learned. I mean, and I think that's why you know her husband is kind of she's kind of disgusted by him, especially in that scene where he's you know laughing at her lame jokes and you know being oh she's a nice person you know because he is trying you know it's it's that sort of like. Uh, 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 that 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 sort of mask that people put on yeah. you know I mean, and, and charlotte and bob are both i don't think that they're incapable of doing it but i think charlotte especially chooses not to yeah and chooses not to play that game and that's why she feels so alienated especially in tokyo one of the, bob, bob yeah. is better at it but when they find each other you know it's that kind of flash of recognition i love that scene when they first do meet you know kelly because it's the frumpiest that scarlett johansson has ever looked like she is it's weird how drab she comes off when that is not, you know, how she looks. She's wearing just a very simple sweater. She's just has very little makeup. And it really does highlight, you know, Kelly's wearing red and she's, you know, excited and she's, you know, joking, you know, and all of those things. You know, that that is a very – I don't know. They, they, they There is – because, I mean, you see Bill – you see Bob putting on the – the happy persona at sure. times at time, you know, and you can see him, you know, when, when he's at the party, he is totally on and it is fairly genuine, but he is, he's very good at getting the entire room to laugh. Yeah. He is good at being the life of the party and charming everybody. And at this point he just does, you know, he is at the point in his life where he doesn't, you know, I, I think Charlotte Moore doesn't know how to play the game and doesn't want to, the Bob character is too tired to play the game and doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah, I think so because well, one of the things that I think is you know kind of I, I well they're very I mean obviously the age difference is there. Yeah, I mean, of course Charlotte is supposed to be I don't know twenty three or twenty four or something, and um, you know Bob is obviously older than that and is in his four fifties probably early fifties. Yeah, he mentions getting married for twenty five years, so he's he is fifth in his yeah. But but what we see of him, I mean, these are two people that essentially are lost, and yeah. they don't know what they're doing. They don't necessarily like their lives, and you know, one of the unspoken things about Lost in Translation is how affected Bob is by by Charlotte, because you know he sees her, he sees someone who is much younger than him, is stuck, but in a different way, and I think part of what is interesting about the development of that relationship over the movie is that Bob is realizing to what degree he's older now. He doesn't, he's not yeah. necessarily liking what he's doing. You know, he's got probably a huge house and kids and a wife that he has to pr- take care of. And he has to do this $2 million, yeah. you know, whiskey thing just to make his ends meet when he'd rather be off, you know, getting paid $5,000 to do a play or whatever. Yeah. 
and you know, I think that that's part of what's happening is that you know Charlotte is is a reflection of himself in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, they're very much on. Charlotte is before you get your shit together, and Bob is kind of after you've gotten your shit together. There is still a same of, you know. To a degree, Charlotte doesn't know what direction, you know, she wants to go. And she talks about, oh, I kind of want to write, you know, I studied philosophy. I used to take photos. But, you know, she doesn't really seem to actively want to do any of it. At some point in the next 10 years, she'll figure her shit out. She'll figure out something that, you know, works for her and that she does. And she'll do that for a while. And then she will be building that career. And after she's built that career and had, you know, whether she stays with John or not, whether she has a family or not, you know, she will collect the accoutrements of her life. And then she'll be where Bob is, where he's got everything he wants. And there is really, you know, no more worlds to conquer to a degree. And what does he do next? Well, he's now going to do I, – I mean the line where he says, you know, I'm getting paid two, $2 million to do a commercial when I could do a play. Um, number one, I mean he's doing this – you know, no work, work for a lot of money that has no artistic fulfillment. And I almost feel there's a worry that he can't do, you know, the play anymore. You know, maybe, you know, she talks about, you know, it, it's clear that Bob has not done movies in a while. He is, yeah. he's, you know, kind of a has been and he's just making money where he can, you know. Maybe he feels, you know, he's probably gotten, you know, just as he's too tired to joke to the photographer, he's probably gotten too tired to act. True, yeah. But I think, you know, the, the, the interesting thing there, too, is that, and, and this is something that I don't see engaged with a lot with this movie, is, is that Bob is famous. You know? Oh, yes. And, and people recognize him. You know, there's that, those, those drunk businessmen in the, in the hotel mm. bar that, that see him and he moves away. Uh, and the woman at the end of the, the movie. The woman at the end of the movie. Trying to hit on him, yeah. And he's obviously, there is some Bill Murray in there because he's very smooth at extricating himself from that situation without being rude. Yeah. Although he is being rude. But, of course, people are rude by coming up to him. So it's kind of like, you know. Um, and so what the, the, I want to talk about the initial meeting of them because it's really interesting, Charlotte and Bob, because when they first meet, you know, Bob is there drinking and Charlotte comes in and, and, and they're, they're together. They, they get seated. She gets seated next to him, but the camera works very interesting because there's a, 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 a wide shot of the two of them and you can see exactly how much space is between them, even though they are sitting together. There's a whole, like, basically another space for a chair there that's yeah. not there. And so that's saying something very obvious, right? That they're both kind of together but apart. But then you get these really interesting, uh, you get these two shots going back and forth between the two of them where, you know, you can see the other character in the scene, but the the character that's not talking is out of focus, you know, sort of implying mm-hmm. that these characters don't know each other. They're ciphers, you know, this kind of thing. They're just having a random conversation in a way, you know, you have a random chat with somebody at a bar. You're not going to really fully fill in their face. You're not gonna, they are going to be a fuzzy blur to you. But that changes much later on in the movie when she does a two shot again. But at this Mm. point they're both in focus, you know, which is kind of, I love stuff like that. I mean, you know, that, that that's really resonant with the themes of the movie and the ways in which the characterization of the, you know, this, the relationship between these two characters is really changing and developing. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, about that first meeting is that uh, Charlotte obviously knows who he is, yeah. but she doesn't, you know, because I think to some degree, as we talked before about how these characters are able to play the game and put on a face, the people that are coming up to Bob and saying, hey, how was that driving that car in that yeah. movie? Hey, aren't you Bob Harris? She doesn't do any of that. She's real with him at the beginning. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, obviously, he knows that she recognizes him, but they yeah. have an actual conversation between two people, and I think that he... he I think he likes that, frankly. It's, it's interesting because, yeah, when the two guys are at the bar, number one, 
you know, we we hear their dialogue a bit before, and it's just focusing on on Bill Murray, you know, during that scene when they're saying, "Oh, that's him. That's not him. Oh, it's totally, you know." Obviously, he knows exactly what's going to happen in the next, you know, right. within the next five minutes, and he's just like, "Let me get my last two minutes," you know. And they ask him, "Oh, why are you in Tokyo?" And you know, he just lies and says he's doing friends. You know, the first question, doing friends. Yeah, the first question that she asks him is, "You know, what are you doing here?" And he gives her. A painfully straight answer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, that does come off after she, you know, orders the vodka tonic instead of the Satori he jokes about. And, but I mean, that's kind of a nice, like, you know, well, that, all right, she's not going to fawn over me. Her ordering that drink is, I think, the moment when Bob realizes, oh, this okay. one's an actual person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, that's the, I mean, I want to talk about that a little bit because this movie does capture the feeling of meeting someone that you really, really click with very yeah. well. And, you know, we all know that feeling, but it is something that I think is not really explored that much in, yeah. in movies. And especially because, you know. And of course we have to say this is a very contextual thing as well, but. No, but I mean, you know, it. And it's also, I mean, there have been movies made about, you know, romantic affairs happening over a short period of time. And, you know, but again, I, I think it's very significant that this is not a romance. Yeah, I mean, it they certainly have a romance together, but it's not a traditional one. It's not just about, you know, them wanting to bone each other or whatever. Although um, they do want to. Oh, yeah. I was going to say it's... <laughs> It's interesting because yeah, this 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 time I watched the movie. There is um, I mean, especially like the the when they're in the elevator the last time and going up, like she's leaning against the door. Very, I mean, there are a lot of body language things between the two of them. Or when you know she says to him like, "Oh, you know, stay with me. We'll form a jazz band." Like you see his face fall like a fraction. Like there is a non-zero chance of these two people falling in love and having you know sex together and you know you know getting married and i think both of them recognize it but that's not the path they choose for a dozen reasons or is it well you don't know (laughs) what they whisper to each other i think it's pretty clear from their facial expressions what they whisper to each other (laughs) but we'll get to that yeah well i think that the other the other thing that's really interesting about the initial setup of the movie of course is that charlotte has been in, in tokyo and japan you know for a while before bob gets there Uh, you know, at least a few days. And so it's almost as if, you know, we don't know that Bob has been there before, but, you know, he seems to know how to play the game with the Japanese. So assumedly he has been. But, you know, it does kind of set up Charlotte as Bob's guide in a certain sense, if you know what I mean. Like, well, I was going to say, yeah, no, because he does see the, at the very beginning, he sees the building with his ad on it. So maybe this is something every few years he has to go to Japan and, you know, He's their spokesman, so he's got to redo the new, you know, right. that could be a... Exactly. But, like, you know, that's kind of... This is the first... It seems like the first time that this trip to Japan has gone this way for him. Yeah. He has met this sort of... Let's call her a firecracker in, like, a 1930s screwball comedy. Huh. But, but yeah, I, you know, because she knows people here. She's been sort of, like... You get the sense that when Bob goes to Tokyo, he does exactly what he does at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. He goes to work, he goes to the hotel bar, and he goes to the hotel. And here's Charlotte, who is out in the world. She's doing things. She's taking bullet trains to Kyoto. Yeah. She's seeing weddings, which is, you know, 
Uh, she's going to temple. She's doing all of these things and having these experiences that Bob, frankly, is probably too tired to to do. Yeah, maybe. And he... she's drawing him out of his shell, meeting, you know, introducing him to new people, having adventures with him. And yeah. I think that he feels alive for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, he talk, he has that bit where you say, you know, when we were first married, Lady and I, she would always come to my movies. We'd laugh about everything, you know. So yeah, probably, you know, if he had to be on location somewhere, you know. She went with him. And, I mean, we're seeing – it's interesting because I think he sees in Charlotte a little bit of Lydia too because, you know, I get the sense that for Charlotte and John, this is their – their honeymoon is just kind of ended. Yeah. Like this Well, they've is, been married I think they say for two years. Yeah. So. so they're at the point – you know, this may be the first – trip where he's actually focusing on work rather than, you know, this is an exotic vacation, you know, with my wife and I have to take a couple photos. I mean, she is very much just in the hotel alone doing nothing while he's at work. And it's very clear that that's how, you know, Bob and Lydia had their movie shoots going, you know, after a while he had to actually act and, you know, she, you know, there's a reason why she stopped coming. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do want to talk about Lydia a little bit because I think that she's a she's an interesting. Well, it's interesting the way they present her because she mostly comes through these faxes or or a couple of phone calls that happen. And, and most of the phone calls are like the the, the volume is very low. Like yeah. you have to actually turn it up or strain to hear it. it you know. Well, that's actually not true, but you're deaf, so. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little bit lower, but it's not like hard to hear. Okay. Um. But, yeah, I think that, you know, obviously they set it up so that you don't hear her voice until you have kind of an impression of her from these faxes. You know, like for Bob, this is work and she thinks he's off having fun and she's very kind of bitter about it. And this doesn't seem like a good relationship. These are two people that, you know, they probably still love each other and they probably get along okay, but they're, they've are they lost the thread of each other. I mean, I almost – I find I almost wonder what was their – whether they – they probably had a fight right as he was leaving, you know, if you think about it. I feel um, like – I feel like all of this stuff with the – I don't agree with that. I mean, I what I get from their interaction these are just two people that mm. have been in a relationship for a long time have nothing to say to each other anymore and are just entrenched in their own lives you know because like all of the thing a lot of the notes you know to her you know the first fact she gets you know is you missed the birthday but you know it's okay you know and in the box I, in one of the boxes with the carpet samples she said oh i'm having a great time with the construction crew like there is a lot of passive aggressiveness in her yeah, but that doesn't necessarily imply they had a fight before he left. I mean, I think that fair, maybe, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like this renovation of the study ha- has some backstory that we're not quite privy to. Why this couldn't have waited a week, or why she didn't pick this up first? Like, I don't know why she is so intense about that. At when the you know, first couple times I saw the movie, I thought, you know, she's just kind of an idiot. You know, she's just so in this world that she has no. But no, it's beginning to think, you know, she is making him deal with this domestic house shit on purpose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't wait a week. But yeah, she yeah. definitely is doing it on purpose. Yeah. You know, I, 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 from the end of the movie, I, I mean, you know, I don't really get a sense that he and Lydia are going to be married much longer, frankly. Um, but that's, you know, maybe we can talk about that when we get to the end of the movie. I don't know. Um, I do want to get a little bit into the ways in which their relationship evolves because you're right. It's not romantic necessarily, and it's certainly not sexual, and it's certainly not physical, but 
they do touch each other, and as they get more comfortable with each other, there are you know he holds her hand at the end. He of holds the movie. her foot at that one point. Hold, yeah, yeah. There's things like that. I mean, he obviously he takes her to the hospital when she breaks her toe or whatever she does. I mean, um, it has a lot of resonances. There are some fatherly, mentorly kind of elements to it, but. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess the best way you can describe the relationship is they become really good friends. I mean, I, I, I think maybe that's a little, you know, oversimplifying it. But at the same point, that's really the only accurate word. Well, I agree with you. I mean, they are friends, but I, I do think that there is a another level to it, which is kind of never really stated in the movie, but it definitely is there. I mean, like you said before, her body language is very indicative of the fact that they want to, she wants to sleep with him. You know, I think Bob wants to sleep with her less, but would not say no to it. Yeah, I just, you know, and obviously I mean, to a degree, I think Bob wants to sleep with her less because, you know, he's in his 50s and he's tired and, you know, he's had women before. Yeah, exactly. And so that that's kind of it, I think, where where they I don't know that you can really consider it a friendship, but I don't know that you can really consider it anything else either do you know what yeah. i mean like it, it is a very it's a sort of you know then again i think that's why it's so nice that the movie t- really speaks to that sort of like clicking with someone because when you really really click with someone it's kind of like you yeah. don't know where this is going you don't know what's happening like you know sometimes it's very obvious that there's no sexual attraction sometimes it's not obvious but you know there is that feeling of like uh, uh sort of engulfment you know in that yeah. sort of relationship and that's kind of what's happening here is it they're spending a lot of time together they're sort of like assuming things you yeah. know, things like that so they you know they they may their relationship may be indefinable or unlabelable at the end but they figured out what it is well, maybe. Or they maybe they haven't and, you know, but I think to a degree they're not sure if it matters. You know, what matters is that they met, they had an experience together and that, you know, it was satisfying. Well, but I think the other the other part of that which we haven't really talked about, of course, is that this is a very contextual relationship that has evolved mm, because of course. they are both in a foreign country where they don't speak the language. Uh, you know, Bob, especially towards the end of the movie, he's done with his work for the past. Yeah. The night. I mean, the last couple of days of the uh, of where he's, you know, when he's there, he's not working. I mean, he went to see, he went to do that talk show, and that was basically the end of it. And so he had a couple of days where he was just fancy free in Tokyo, and she's not doing anything. She's just there because her husband is working. Yeah. And so and he's coming back that night, and it's implied, you know, she's probably another couple day or two there, and right. Like, yeah. And it is, you know, that that is kind of really important to the movie is that they both are sort of on this island, you know, by themselves, cut off from everything. And that's kind of why the relationship feels so, uh, uh, I guess, necessary or so They're each other's life raft to a degree. Yeah. Like, it's it's very contextual. You know, I get the sense that if these two people had met in L.A., they would not have had this very intense, quick relationship develop. And number one, also, I mean, where does where does Bob live? Is it said? I'm pretty sure he lives in L.A. Well, that's the thing. Like, they probably do live within visiting distance of each other. But, you know, I think about that line, let's never come here again. It'll never be as much fun. I think they both kind of know that, you know, if they were to pursue anything, you know, it's going to be different. It's not going to be this weird romantic thing that they had, like it's going to sully it in a way. Oh, I keep, I just have to, we have to talk about the end. Of the Let's movie. talk about the end of the movie. I had a very different reaction to it this time than all the other times I've watched it. And I always cry at the end. Yeah. But 
because it's so touching and it's such a nice little moment. You know, of course, so the classic end is that um, they, they they say goodbye to each other at the hotel when he's leaving to go to the airport. It's very still. They say three goodbye to each other three times. There's first in the elevator. Yes. And, and like they have very much the do we kiss? Do we hug each other goodbye? What what do we? And, and you know. Turns out they kiss, but it's sort of a half kiss. But they, yeah, neither of them committed to it. And then they have that weird interaction in the hotel lobby with his jacket. And then finally they get the opportunity to actually say the movie ending goodbye. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, not, on the one hand, it's it's a very nice inversion of the classic trope of the man running after the woman at the end of a movie and saying, I love you, come be with me, you know, because that doesn't happen. You know, yeah. he's in, Bob is in the taxi, the taxi, he sees Charlotte, or he thinks he sees her, and of course it turns out to be her, um, gets out of the taxi, runs after her, you know, she's surprised to see him. And what do you expect to happen? Well, I don't, you know, you expect a classic sort of like, I love you. Let's get married. I'll divorce my wife and everything, you know, but that's not what this movie is. Yeah. And you can't classically, you know, famously, you can't hear what he says to her and what she says to him in response, but you do say them here. Okay. They say, okay to each other. Yeah. Um, she's crying a little bit. He goes back to his taxi, but I always kind of interpreted that as he was saying something to her. You know, I don't. I don't really want to speculate about what exactly. Yeah, saying I mean, what he says is the matter. right thing. Right. That's that's. But my interpretation of that has always been: he said something to her that was very nice about you know to hang in there. Or what you know, whatever. Right. It, it doesn't really matter. They they were saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. I read it very differently this time. Mm-hmm. I actually think that they are saying. Uh, uh, hello to each other. I think they're saying let let's let's do this because let's not not have a relationship just because we are outside of the context, the very intense context that we are in. You know, if you look at the way in which uh, uh, Bill Murray acts in that scene, the way in which Charlotte Charlotte Johansson acts in that scene, uh, these are two people that have not just said goodbye to each other. Like he is grinning, she is very happy i mean obviously she's crying but i think they're cry they're tears of joy and, and they do both look like they have something big ahead of them i mean yeah. her especially like i've got some shit to deal with that's why i think they're not saying like, goodbye to each other at huh. this point I, I think that that you know whatever they're whatever it is you know who knows what they said and it doesn't really matter that's not the point of that yeah. scene and that's why you can't hear what they say i mean because like, you can take you can take whatever you want out of that scene. Especially, I mean, number one, Billy Murray has and Scarlett Johansson have famously refused to. Uh, I think Bill Murray said that he revealed it once and they didn't believe him, so he gave up trying to, which is a very Bill Murray thing. But um, yeah. and I mean, suppose he, he told her the gun is behind the garbage can. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. Um, and Scar and Sofia Coppola has herself, like some people have said, like you know, she's been interviewed. Oh, where are they today? It's ten years later, and she's you know dodged that question, you know, because obviously the ambiguity is the important thing about the movie, and I like that there is. You well, know, the whole movie is built on ambiguity. Oh that's yeah, why the ending is so perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie. But that, you know, as intimate as we feel about Bob and Charlotte throughout the movie. You're right, you know, especially, you know, some of the ways with the camera does distancing, but we only see tiny moments in there. I mean, I think it's very significant that we don't, you know, Charlotte is seen wandering alone through Tokyo, and certainly when she goes to Kyoto on the bus, you know, it's... Well, let's not move away from the end of the movie, because oh. I, I don't I don't want to move away from the end okay, of the movie. Okay, fair enough. I, I think that it's very, very... I mean, I haven't gotten your interpretation of it, and I want to hear what your interpretation of it is, because this is a movie that you've seen 40 times... 
you know, all I can think about the significant line to the movie in, to me in the movie is, you know, again, that let's never come here again. We'll, it'll never be as much fun. Hmm. And I guess what he would, you know, I, I think to me, you know, there is that, you know, that's kind of the sense of what he whispers to her, I think, because I mean, I, I know I've been in plenty of situations there. There's an episode, frankly, of, uh, Louie that I think about where he goes on vacation and he meets up with this other dude and they're like hanging out and they're having a great time and you know and he's gonna leave and he leaves and then he decides to extend a day and then like it's weird yeah you know and they they don't end up actually you know and it turns out you know at because it was such a contextualized relationship you know it was able to be you know, as intimate as it could be in a way. They're never going to see each other again. So, you know, we can, I can bear my soul to you kind of a thing. Hmm. And I think... I mean, I think... I, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I, I there is... A, I guess you definitely think that Lydia and Bob are going to be divorced. Yeah. In the, I, see, I don't. I mean, part of it is, you know... They have that weird, you know, that fight when he's in the in the tub, and you know, well, that's... why don't you have Japanese food every day? And then she calls him again the next day, and she's like, "Oh, talk to the kid," you know. Oh, and like they're a lot warmer to each other, and especially given, oh, do you think they're warmer to each other? Well, they're at least more nor they're at least not hot. Well, she's not hostile in the last one. Well, yeah, I mean, here, well, here's the thing: is that like you know, I don't want to get too much into like personal histories here, but you know, I have been in longer term relationships yeah. than Richard has been in. And I have lived with a couple of, of, of men in my time and Richard never has. And I don't say that as a criticism. I just no, say no. that as like, I have a little bit more life experience with this kind of thing than you do. And I really interpret those scenes as two people that have nothing else to say to each other. I have been in that relationship. You yeah. know, these are two people that don't want to be with each other anymore, have nothing in common anymore. Hmm. You know, she is, she's maintaining that relationship because they are married and they live in the same house and they have kids together, but they have no connection anymore. She is caught up in her own world, mm. which is fair. I mean, that happens. You know, Bob is caught up in his own world. I was going to say, gallivanting I, around Tokyo with a woman that's 20 years younger than him. Or they are years younger than him. If they formed their own worlds, it was in response to each other. Yeah. Too. Yeah. But I think that, you know, to, to misinterpret her, uh, you know, hey, come talk to the kids as warmth is is a grave mistake. Mm. And it is a, I mean, I find that so sad. Like, it's just, you know, and then the dismissal, like, oh, she ran away. You know, like, she does not want Bob around. She doesn't need Bob around. And I think that Bob is going to realize that. Mm. And they are going to get a divorce. Because this is, I think this is probably the one of the first times in Bob's life where he has felt... Uh, more like himself than mm. than at any point in in the which past. is true. Yes, um, I mean he is certainly doing the. I like that they have him, you know, doing you know youth, you know, doing kids stuff without making it about him wanting to recapture his lost youth. I mean, when he is certainly when they have this night out at the bar and he's wearing this ridiculous shirt, you know, and stuff like you know he is let you know relaxing and having fun, but he's also touristing that he doesn't wish to be living that life every day i don't think you know it's tired it's fucking tiring to do that every day but um well and i mean the other you know the i mean this is kind of a again i mean i don't know how much we want to take this but but the end of the movie i find so interesting because um this is again why i think that that they do eventually you know 
whatever he says to her is is whatever he says to her and again i don't want to speculate on it because it's not important i think what's important here is their reaction afterwards and you know the context that they're in sort of the camera work that's done and and even the fact that it's shot in the daytime i was gonna say it's a very obvious book ending the initial scenes when he's driving in at night yes right and and there is some of that of course but it's also partly like you never see the two of them together like in the daytime, like it's always at night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even in their last appearances, like they go out to lunch, but we never actually see them outside. Yeah. You know, uh, the closest is in the hotel lobby, and that's kind of making stages towards outside. Yeah, it, right, exactly. And so I think that that's another key piece of it where these are two people that have found a new context to be in, which mm-hmm. is the daylight. <laughs> the movie is showing it to us, and it's saying, you know, it is an ambiguous ending, of course, but but whatever these two people have said to each other, their story is not over yet. And I don't know what form it's going to take. I don't, you know, did they get married? Did yeah, they yeah, go yeah. off and fuck? Who knows, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I think that these are two people that have gotten something out of this relationship and, and they are, they're going to keep seeing each other. However, they're going to keep seeing each other. Because hmm. they're both way too happy for that to be like a tearful goodbye. I'm never going to see you again. You know, that's just not, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Okay. I don't know if I see it as happiness exactly, but it's a, I don't know. There is a sense of rightness about the ending and, and I, I, I guess again, I, I see it less happiness and more satisfaction. Like we did get the fucking perfect goodbye. And yeah. There is a, I, I, I think both are taking a very, I mean, there, there is a, uh, is, I think the term is mono no noire, or if that may mean something else, but it's a Japanese aesthetic that is of like the cherry blossoms are a perfect example about that. How you see these beautiful flowers that the petals are dying. You know, yeah. It's there is a sense of a transient beauty in a way. Yeah. And I would say that the, a lot of this movie has, you know, scenes of that, but certainly the ending, I think, gives this moment of transient beauty. This is something that can't stay. This only, We only had this week for this beautiful relationship to flower and develop, and it's gone. It's no less precious for the fact that it's gone, but to recapture it is a fool's errand. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the, the this movie and the ending in particular probably says more about you the, the viewer's emotional state at that time than anything yeah. else. So I guess I'm being yeah. more optimistic right now, and you're being more pessimistic. Well, no, no, because it's because it, I will say it's very interesting because I did really identify hard with Charlotte. You know, when I first saw this movie, I was in college. I was yeah. pretty much her age. Uh, I'm ten years older yeah. now, and. Well, I, you know, I'm at the stage where I have finally figured out kind of what I do and what I do well and where I want to be in life. So I am in that middle stage. But I think what I and so I don't quite, you know, see either Bob or Charlotte's point of view when I'm watching this. But at the same time, I think I think the movie makes it clear that there is a cyclical nature of this. It's not like you figure your shit out and you're happy forever. You know, no, it's going to double back around. You know, at some point you will be Bob. Yeah. But I think too, I mean, you know, again, one of the one of the things that that I uh, am trying to do with Trek About Presents is to sort of, you know, Richard doesn't really like movies. So, you know, I think you inter I think you really come away from a movie like Lost in Translation, you know, looking at the dialogue and looking at what they're saying to each other and yeah. which is totally valid. I'm not saying it's not valid, but you know, one of the things that I I, I am trying to impart is kind of a sense of alternate interpretations of that that are borne out by 
you know, where the camera's put, what the camera's looking at, hmm. you know, what the choice of soundtrack is, you know, how the actors are looking at each other and interpreting each other, even the fact that, like, you know, what, what, what type of, what time of day is it? You know, these yeah. are all factors in movies that are very important to convey, you know, what, what, you know, Sofia Coppola is, is trying to say about hmm. these people. Um, you know, because I think, again, this, we haven't really talked about the soundtrack, but I, I mean, it's a great soundtrack, but, you know, it's the. I mean, even the the choice of movie at the very end that's playing over this this scene that is very ambiguous. Yeah. You know, it's a very ambiguous song. I mean, you could interpret it Just a couple like of Honey di- by the Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could interpret it a couple of different ways. So it's a good choice of song, but it's also you know saying something very specific about about how this scene is playing out yeah. in a way. You yeah. know, um. I think the other thing too is that kind of puts well. I guess because then I want to talk about the where she witnesses the wedding with that really nice well, air song. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about, you have a very uplifting, you know, twinkly soundtrack, and her looking at the beginning of a marriage. I think to a very I, whether whether or not you know Bill and uh, Bob and Char- Barbara and Lydia are going to stay together or not. I think that Charlotte certainly comes away with that scene saying, you know. Let's give this another try. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, you could you could totally make that interpretation. I mean, she is, uh, you know, in that scene when she's seeing that wedding, it's a surprise, but it's very beautiful. And she's yeah. looking at it. You know, the ca- yeah. that's the other thing, too, is like the camera never gets very close to these characters, which is saying that they, they do have some emotional distance from what they're viewing. Right. And yeah. so you could argue that both ways. And again, I, I don't want to I don't want to say that, that I think that no, the no. end of the movie is. They're going to go back to. They're both going to go. Here's back my to phone LA. number. Call me. Right. Exactly. I mean, like, but I do think Meet that me they at the Albert Hotel in room two hundred and two. But I do think that they continue yeah. to have some sort of relationship, and whether or not it's sexual, whether or not it's romantic, I think that they they do continue to have some sort of relationship. You know, and and again, you know, Bob deciding to divorce Lydia, or maybe they get separated, or maybe they don't. You know, Charlotte deciding to stay with her husband. Those choices almost have nothing to do with the intensity of their connection, yeah, it's, it's, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I did read a really good theory about the movie. Okay. Bob is John from the future who's traveled back in time. Um, so let's talk about the, uh, the, the lounge singer that Bob sleeps with. Okay. It's a little important, I think, just <laughs> because it is the... It comes at the very end of the movie, almost at the end of the movie. I think it's like 20 minutes before the end of the movie. And it colors the like before they end up downstairs at the fire drill and they sort of go, wow, that was the worst lunch. Yeah. You know, Charlotte is, you know, she goes up to his room and she hears the singing and she's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're busy, aren't you? Yeah. You know, and she's like and that's I think when Bob realizes she's a little younger than she, you know, yeah. like like she's younger than she appears to be. And. She also doesn't have as much experience. Like she's disappointed in him, but she's also hurt because she thought that they were maybe yeah. going to have that happen. And I mean, like, you know, for Bob is very clear that this was just meaningless. He was drunk. He was pissed at his wife and sh- and the singer was there. Yeah. You know, that, that that's why he made, you know, he did that. And he almost he wakes up, you know, hung over and he didn't even necessarily realize what he did. But there's another level to that, of course, which is that the the lounge singer is 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 kind of that same person that um, you can't connect with, right? Like she is that sort of like surfacey person that you know you don't <laughs> like. She's probably like really, really, Bob. Like I think she's hurt. I think she's confused. I also think she finds it kind of funny, frankly. Yeah, you know. Well, but- because the, I mean, 
So apparently that band and the lounge singer special was the band at the hotel. And, uh, you know, when they were scouting for the, you know, they saw that and said, no, this is perfect. We're hiring them for the movie. And, yeah. they, and they're wonderfully horrible. Like, they are the worst lounge band, but... Um, yeah. Like, who are these people? How do they end up in Japan? Why I, are they there? I like, know. Like, I, 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 I just remember watching this movie in college with a couple of girls that I was, you know, and they were laughing at the very beginning scene when she's wearing a red dress and she has that red hair. And they're like, why is she wearing that outfit? You know, that, that, that's a terrible outfit for her. You know, she is a little ridiculous, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, I mean, she orders champagne. Yeah. <laughs> Who does that? Well, at a, at a at an upscale bar, maybe. She's the only one who gets to drink champagne because remember they get the champagne from the label and John oh, won't let yeah. her drink it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's a weird thing to order at a bar. I'm just saying. Well, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're celebrating, <laughs> she's celebrating the fact that she's going to have Bob's dick inside her. That's well, she's, she's a lounge singer. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I don't know. At the end of the day. I mean, it is a very, it is a very sort of, I guess. Um, I mean, it's a very complex, naughty movie, which is, I think it's funny because one of the main criticisms of the movie, oh, it's one of those where nothing happens. People almost have an affair and then don't. I mean, there are these, as you said, the golf scene. There are a lot of these, or the scene when she's just wandering through the arcade. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of scenes is just people observing stuff that's going on around them that they aren't really a part of. Yeah. Um and so yeah, you know, it, it it is a very but but yet for all of that it is a very meaty movie. There is just so much to unpack and it definitely is one of those movies that captures your attention and, and never lets go. I mean, yeah. you know, I've said this before on previous track about presents, but but I like movies as a visual medium, you know, I mean, I love yeah. um, you know, Terrence Malick for example. And, you know, people see, you know, Badlands or Days of Heaven or something, and they're just kind of like, well, nothing happens. What, what is this? You know, and it's like, well, no, the point is not what happens. The point is just to watch these these beautiful images go go, go by. And, and parts, I mean, parts, parts, parts of Lost in Translation really do remind me of that. You know, they, I mean, I have to admit that I, I, when I saw this movie, I was I was a uh, 19 year old weeb. So I definitely, you know watched it because of Japan and I thought it was cool to see, you know, things of Tokyo, you know, just on a seeing shit I would never see, uh, level. It's, it's, it's an interesting movie, um, in terms of, you know, how, how accurate of a picture of Tokyo is this? Probably not entirely, but that's not really the point. I I, mean, what, what you get from this is what do two out, you know, alienated American tourists think about life in Tokyo? Well, this is it. Or even like what what do two you know alienated alone you know yeah. Americans do when they're in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean they don't even really. I mean there's kind of a sense that they're on the moon or something. Yeah, you know. And and again, I mean that's you know I don't I don't want to get too far into this because we're you know kind of almost at the end here. But I think that that's one of the reasons why the sort of like lost in translation is racist kind of gets to me because it's like well you're kind of missing the point of the movie. Like they are not understanding what's going on, and the movie is very clear that. Uh, the people that live in Tokyo are not, they're not making fun of them. They're not the butt of the joke. No, I think there is a degree to which, you know, Tokyo is happening around them and they don't understand. Tokyo doesn't really give a shit about these two people. You know, it's just, they're, they're going to this place for a week. This is not, you know, and I think their joking is their way of getting a tiny form of control. I mean that, you know, why do they switch the R's and the L's? Oh, 
you know, for jokes, you know, we're not right. making them laugh. So, you know, that's their way of, you know, finding their place in this, you know, or understanding something like. It, it, well, that's it, I mean, that's what really gets me about it, because like, you know, for example, the 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 scene with the director who's telling him what to do. And it's yeah. like he's kind of having a hard time. He's speaking English, but he's yeah. having a hard time understanding, you know, what he's saying. And, you know, there's that implication. Oh, that's racist. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, sometimes people have accents and you can't understand what they're saying. I mean, it's not that I'm being racist. It's just that I literally can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and so that is a valid uh, that is a valid thing to look at, I think. Uh, part of my understand, you know, part of what a lot of people have told me is that in in Japan they would rather try and speak English to you than hear you deal with your mangled Japanese. So you know, everybody in Japan takes their one year of you know English classes, so they you know can say a couple of sentences even if they don't speak it at all. Right. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess that that scene, you know, what comes off. Number one, what comes out of that scene is number one the the distance between what Bill is. What well, it's very hard to not say Bill when I say Bob. <laughs> Part of that is Bill Murray is such an iconic actor. Part of it is he's playing himself. Part of it, you know, there's there. Well, a version of himself. Yeah, you, you know, what I mean? he's playing an actor who doesn't work. You know, he, but um, of course, at this point. And this movie was largely responsible. This was kind of Bill Murray's renaissance in his career. You know, mm, I, yeah, I guess from, so. from this, he, he he started doing, you know, this is when he did Life Aquatic and Broken Flowers and a lot of well, more artsy films. But remember, that, too, that he did he did Rushmore before this. Yeah. You know, he he was working, you know, per, I, I, he was not it was never like a John Travolta situation. No, no, I'll no, no. He never did a comeback. But I, I, I think this was this movie is generally seen as kind of a turning point is his career. You know, this was a new phase of Bill Murray, you know, because yeah. this, I, I, I this, would, this Bill Murray is decidedly different from Meatballs and Stripes and Ghostbusters. I, I would argue that that happened earlier, but that's, okay. you know, that's neither here nor there, really. Either way, maybe then this was the most kind of the pinnacle of that, because certainly uh, he got more acclaim for this role than Rushmore. Which is not to say he didn't get a claim for Rushmore, but this is a bigger role. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know how much. Um, I, I would take you at your word for that because I, I actually don't know to what degree people remember this movie or, hmm. or how big it was at the time. You know, I don't remember it being that big, but then again, Rushmore wasn't that big either. So no, I remember this being a movie that a lot of people were talking about. Okay. Didn't it get nominated for a couple of things? Um, it got nominated for Best Butt. It, she does Charlotte have a really has a nice butt, good butt. Apparently, I don't really have an opinion on it. It's not pooping, and that's all. That's my criteria. It's probably very clean. Well, and yeah, I guess maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up is is uh, the humor in the movie. I mean, it it is funny, you know, and, and but it's it's a lot of it is very. I mean, a lot of it is Bob joking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. So, so, you know, it, it, it's – and frankly, the humor makes the movie the – hum, the humor is when Bob is relaxing. Yes. And I think the movie is really good on those points because, again, we get to see him being himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I, that's a good I, point. Because I, I think we were talking about the, you know, the putting on – playing the game. And, you know, I think we kind of said, you know, Bob joking and winning the room is him playing the game. But there is a – but to a very real degree, I think that is who – Bob is. Bob is an entertainer. You know, he he is a person who I think he generally likes when people around him are smiling and oh, dancing sure. and having a good time. Seeing, you know, the way he is at the party uh-huh. is, is a perfect example of that. And yeah. so 
you know, it's not that he's again, he he's lost the ability to be himself. So yeah, I think that yeah, I think that's true. I think that that, you know, and again, I think that's maybe to wrap this around, it's a good way to end it is, you know, that's why the end of the movie to me is is so wonderful because mm-hmm. I think that more than anything else, this is really a story of Bob refinding who he is. Yeah. And whatever he says to Charlotte at the end, whatever she says in response to him, I think that's where the movie leaves him at least. Yeah. And I think if anything else, Charlotte is maybe a little bit more lost than him at the end of the movie because she is realizing that she's more lost than she thought she was. Yeah. But I think the movie also makes it clear that's because she's just a a lot younger. And, you know, the takeaway for her is that you're not hopeless. You know, she's going to. You know, she at this point, he's made it clear to her that, no, this sense of, you know, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know who I married. I don't know what the fuck is happening. That's normal. And that's okay. And you'll deal with it and you'll figure it out. I mean, because Charlotte is very explicitly a person who is not lacking in resources, let's say. Yeah. Um, Either and also, let's not forget that her name is Charlotte, which is Charlotte, North Carolina, which no, I'm just I'm <laughs> No, but I mean, I- I- intellectually or financially, she's probably not doing poorly in either sure. way. She is going to there. There are she personally has no obstacles other than herself. And hey, if she does live in L.A. and California is a community property state, if she decides to divorce her husband, she's going to get 50 percent of his money. And then she becomes an actress and she becomes Scarlett Johansson. And Whoa. then John becomes an actor, changes his name to Bob Harris, and then travels back in time to Tokyo in the year 2003, where his wife is you're, – you're, you're giving me the, the, the look that the sushi chef gives them during the black toe joke. Yep, pretty much. All right, well, I think we've, we've said as much as we can say about Lost in Translation. I'm sure we could talk for another hour, but who would want to listen to that? Maybe yeah. you would. Maybe we'll do a two-hour podcast as an experiment one day. We're, we're never going to do that. Uh, but, uh, of course, if you would like to give your thoughts on Lost in Translation or, or our conversation about it, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Trackabout Presents at trackaboutshow.com. If you've been enjoying our podcast for uh, a week, a month, a year, and for since how long we've been doing them, uh, there's now a way for you to show support financially. Just go to patreon.com slash trackaboutshow and give generously. And as a token of our appreciation, if you give us $5 a month or more, you get to hear our special monthly episodes. The one that's coming out in just a few days is a conversation about three characters on Star Trek, Spock, Data, and Odo, and how they compare and contrast with each other and their relationship with humanity. We have a chart that we're using for it. Yes, we do. Our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Trek About Show and for Trek About. Why not? Do a twofer. Next week, we are continuing this season of Trek About Presents by talking about Ghostbusters. Not not the new one. That's not out yet. We we could not have seen it. We are not pirates, and I have no idea where to get it, so don't ask me. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the original Ghostbusters that came out in 1984, featuring a little actor that you might know, named Bill Murray. (sighs) So join us then. And thank you for listening.